I want this morning just to uh, just reflect on a very short uh, passage, although not really, because I want to I want to just read three verses from John's Gospel, John chapter six. Uh, if you've uh, got your Bibles with you, John chapter six, verses sixty-six to sixty-eight. Just three verses. Where we read from this time. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Father, pray that you might Bless these words to us, that you might speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been said that the uh, Gospels are just one long invitation. And we all like getting invitations, don't we? Now, there are some invitations that you, uh, you grab with, uh, with, with keen hands, and there are some invitations that you think, well, perhaps, perhaps not. Um, the best invitation I ever had um, was uh, a few years ago where I got invited to Buckingham Palace to have evening drinks with the royal family. How about that? Eh? Now, there's no way I was going to say no to that. And uh, I remember, it, was, it was a lovely occasion. I remember it uh, really well. One of the best things was coming out at the end afterwards in the evening. It was, about, it was May time, so come out. And outside there were crowds of... Of Japanese tourists with their cameras. Because as we came out of the palace, they think, oh, it's somebody important. And so, <laughs> so they're taking photographs like mad. So I, I have this sort of idea that somewhere in Japan, there are people who have these photographs of me saying, very important. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I say, we, we love invitations. And in this morning, we uh, have uh, in that, those, that verse, we have Jesus. Uh, inviting the disciples not to come, but offering them possibility to go. Do you want to leave too, he says. It came at a, a, a big moment in the gospel story, and we're told that earlier that many of the disciples who had been following him turned back and no longer wanted to go that way. What he says, they say, is too difficult and too demanding. So perhaps we'll just, as I say, I only want to think about those three verses, but not really, because we need to backtrack a little bit, don't we, into the earlier part of chapter 6 to see what was going on in, in the story that we got to this point. One of, the, uh, one of the guiding principles in the advertising industry uh, is based on the idea that people buy stuff more on how it makes them feel than about the product itself. In the 1930s in America, the the sort of slogan was, you sell the sizzle and not the steak. You sell the sizzle and not the steak. It was a way of of, uh, promoting particularly financial products, and those marketing them thought it would be better, they could motivate people better based on the idea of the excitement rather than on the facts of what they were, were purchasing. And the idea is that marketing and advertising, you can build a demand for a product 
through advertising not what the product is, but how it makes people feel. You can see that. You know, you watch the television, you watch an advert about a car, for instance, you learn very little at the end of the advert about the car. It's all about how this car would make you feel. And in the Gospel story, in chapter 6, we definitely have a crowd of people following Jesus who were definitely after the sizzle and not the steak. So long as Jesus performed miracles, made people feel good about themselves, as long as he rebuked the bad guys, the religious elite, uh, spoke parables that although people didn't necessarily understand what they were about, they were good stories anyway, the crowd loved him. As long as he was doing those things, the crowd loved him. But when he started to teach things that were difficult and called for real commitment, they say, this is too hard. This is a hard teaching. This is too difficult. One translation says that they got to the point where they said, what he says is hard to accept. Who wants to listen to him anymore? So we have to have just a quick look, as I say, about what Jesus has been teaching that proves so distressing. We take a, a whistle-stop tour through, uh, uh, through chapter 6, one of the, um, one of the longest chapters uh, in, in the, the Gospels. Um, we get to 71 verses, so that's a long, long chapter, but I, I promise I won't go through every verse, all right? Well, not, well, no, not today. So, so earlier in chapter 6, we hear about the feeding of the 5,000. The crowd had witnessed his miracles as he'd healed numerous sick people, and they followed him, we're, we're told, for several days. So Jesus had compassion on them, and he feeds them. You know, we all know the story of the five loaves and two fishes. And we read that they were so excited about what they witnessed that they were prepared to take Jesus and make him king by force. And so Jesus, knowing what was in their minds, he goes up to a mountain so he could pray. The disciples, in the meantime, get on a boat and go across the river. Jesus joins them by walking on the lake, joins them in the boat and gets across uh, the wharf, across the sea. And go, they go to the other side. The crowd get up the next morning and think, oh, he's not here. Where's he gone? Um, they didn't really see where he went, so they, uh, they go off. They get in their boats and go across to Capernaum, and they were determined to find him. And they found him. He, he's not very difficult to find. Uh, Jesus never really hid away, uh, even in his most difficult moments. He was easy to find. And they say to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus' answer would have startled them, because this is the point where he really challenges them. His answer was in, in a rebuke and a challenge. He says, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for work, food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And it's from this point that the atmosphere changes as Jesus ups the ante. For these, this crowd that had been following him, he challenges their motivation. He doesn't congratulate them. He doesn't say, well done for finding me. Well done for getting in those boats, coming across the, uh, the lake and finding me. He says, why are you doing this? What are you doing this for? He challenges their motivation. Why am I doing this? Why are you doing this? Are you doing it for the right reasons? I find that a real challenge. Why am I doing this? Am I doing it for the right reasons? The crowd then 
sort of respond to Jesus and says, well, you know, what must we do then to do the work that God requires? The crowd had filtered Jesus' words through their own superficial understanding. You know, their, their response was, well, what must we do then? You know, we might think of the, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Like many people in in life, this young man wanted to be forgiven. He wanted to be, to be accepted by God. He wanted to be saved, but he didn't want to be changed. He didn't want any change in his life. It was okay for God to do what he wanted in his life, but, but he was happy, just happy as he was right now, and he didn't want to be any different. Jesus spoke to the crowd, and things... Um, Things got difficult. Things got more challenging. As Jesus then says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. To which they come back and say, well, if you are the one whom God has sent, if we are to believe in you, then give us a sign. Feed us. Show us a miracle. Entertain us. We want some sizzle. Don't give us steak. We want some sizzle. We want to be made to feel good. Someone once said, the human mind thinks that seeing is believing. The spiritual mind understands that believing is seeing. So Jesus, again, he refuses to, to go that way and he refuses to entertain them. And he comes back with one of the great sayings of God's gospel, one of the great the I am sayings. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And that was the tipping point. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the third day. And we're told at that point, at that point, the crowd start to grumble. They grumbled because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? His father and mother, we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? They all thought they knew about Jesus. He was so familiar. Could he be that important? It had gotten too real and too personal and too challenging. And Jesus makes it worse by going on to talk about the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And it's at that point, as the crowd start to walk away, Jesus then turns to challenge the twelve. You do not want to leave me too, do you? It's an invitation. Do you want to go? It's not a rhetorical question. It's a real challenge. Do you want to go? He invites them. We get mad, don't we, when, uh, when politicians answer a question with a question. You know, don't we? We get mad about that. And Jesus says, do you want to go too? And Peter responds with a question. Where else are we going to go, he says. 
to whom shall we go? It's a great question, isn't it? To whom shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? You're inviting us to go somewhere else, but where are we going to go? Because you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go to find the way, the truth, and the life? But with Jesus. I came to that conclusion when I was a teenager. About 15, 16. So I've been a Christian for 20 years now. I've been sent to Sunday school with my sisters and my brother since I was five. But because when you get into your teenage years, it's a difficult time, isn't it? And you, you have to sort of make your mind out about, mind out about stuff. And it was that time when I, I could easily have walked away. But it was a real question for me. Where else am I going to go? I've been introduced to Jesus from that age of five. I had some faithful Sunday school teachers who, who told me all about Jesus. And I got to that point in my life where there are other things happening. I wanted to play football on a Sunday. I wanted to do other things on a Sunday. And I had to make my mind up. To who can we go? Since then, as I've, I've grown, I've experienced life, as I've studied and, and read... I'm more and more convinced. There's nowhere else to go. Can we turn somewhere else? Can we turn to science, for instance, for the, for the big questions of who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What, um, where am I going? Can we find a, a science laboratory or apparatus or a technique for, advising, for analyzing life or death? Or discovering life in all its fullness? In science, powerful electronic microscopes can probe the minute mysteries of matter and life in even smaller and smaller detail. But it doesn't tell us more, any more about where that life started. But have you seen the incredible pictures from the telescopes, you know, of the galaxies, you know, that reached out into you know, the far reaches of our galaxy and beyond, incredible, don't that beautiful to me it just increases my wonder of what God has made but the telescopes can be as wonderful and as, as powerful as you like but they're not going to find the real answers to life where do we go for truth and meaning we live in a, in a secular culture that tells us there's no need for God. And the fact that we are here is pure accident for which there is no purpose. It's all about fate. It's all about the hand you're dealt with. Or as somebody just recently said, them's the breaks. It's said that uh, Robert Ingersoll, a well-known atheist, once, vis once visited the great preacher Henry Ward Beecher, who took him into his study and showed him all his theological books. And in Beecher's study, there was also a magnificent contour globe of the world with the mountains and valleys all painted in a beautiful and creative work of art. And Ingersoll, the atheist, 
very educated, looked at the globe and said, Pastor Beecher, that's a wonderful work of art. Who made it for you? And challenging his denial of God and his creation, Beecher replied, oh, nobody, it just happened. I just came in one day and found it there. No true or satisfactory answer to man's origin or destiny can ever exclude God. I've come to the conclusion that it is reasonable and logical to believe that God created the universe. How you can say he didn't is beyond my understanding. It's interesting that Peter's response goes on. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. When we come before God, we don't leave our brains outside. I'm not a Christian because I just feel that God is present. I believe and know that God is present. Just rationally as well as, as, as spiritually. To whom can we go today? Can we go to a world promising popularity and prosperity? Jesus made it amply clear that the faithful could not necessarily expect the plaudits of this world, that we would not necessarily be popular. But many today use popularity as a means of measuring progress. The celebrity culture has persuaded so many of our young people that being famous is the goal to aim for. And it doesn't matter what you do to get it. We should never mistake quantity for quality or size for success. Neither must we confuse physical prosperity with success and happiness. A wise grandfather once asked his grandson when a man was rich enough. The grandson replied, when he has a million dollars? No. Two million? No. Ten million? No. A hundred million? No. And on and on the little boy raised the ante. When finally he gave up, his grandfather gravely said, when he has a little more than he has. And that is never. We're seeing in our day, before our eyes, the myth of economic progress. The idea that each generation will get, be better off than the last. We're seeing that myth exploded before our eyes. The Bible tells us a different way that the principle of pursuing prosperity or popularity as our primary purpose in life is not the right one. Just think. In the Old Testament, God chose the small and despised nation of Israel for his people and his channel of blessing to the world. He chose the small town of Bethlehem and a manger as a cradle when he sent Jesus into the world. In the New Testament, he chose what some would see as a motley collection of the common and the ordinary, as the first witnesses of the gospel. As Paul would say, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that, I, that are. To whom shall we go? We can only go to the one who can fulfill our needs. 
Jesus' focus in his message had been on man's need for more than physical necessities and pleasures in this world. And he used that analogy of the physical necessity of bread to illustrate the eternal nature of spiritual bread. He used the fact of the necessity of physical water to swage physical thirst and to maintain physical life to illustrate the essential need for the spiritual water of life. Where should we go? Later, Peter would drive home his message when he writes in Acts. He says in Acts, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by mankind by which which we must be saved. Where are we going to go? but to the one who is, has the words of eternal life. I found that in my life, in the good days and the bad days. I said earlier on that uh, today is a special day, and it is. It's not, there's no O in it, but it's Val and I's wedding anniversary today. <laughs> Twen- 29 years. I can never forget our anniversary, 24-7. I've often used that in talks in weddings, 24-7. But it does remind me that uh, there was a time in my life when I was at rock bottom where things had, had, things had sort of gone really badly wrong. And I cried out to God. And God responded by giving me an incredible gift. And I, very wisely, married her. Some of you know uh, my story of recent years. Six years ago, I found that almost everything in my life came to a standstill. Literally, almost overnight. Because I was diagnosed with a form of dementia. At that point, and I still remember it well, at that point I thought my life was over. I thought it was the end for me. I found myself in a dark place. After 30 years in ministry, I felt that was it. That I would never lead a service again, I would never speak again. I didn't think I'd be able to do anything again. And I am here, literally, by the grace of God. Because I have known... At that moment, there was nowhere else to go but him. My testimony is that there is nowhere else to go but Jesus. At the difficult times in my life, I have found hope and life in him. For me, that's not vague theology that I read in a book. That's my life experience. That's what I've found. That's what I know. Do we have personal troubles and trials? Do we have rivers that seem uncrossable? Do we have walls that seem unbreachable? Do we have hurts that seem unhealable? Do we have problems that seem insoluble? There's only one place to go. Where else are you going to go? 
Was Paul deluded when he said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength? We can go to Jesus today with all our troubles and trials and tribulations. He calls us today as he called those who would follow him, come to me. All those who are weary and burdened. We've heard it so many times before. But it's the truth. We can go to the one who gives us the invitation. An invitation we can either choose to accept or choose to reject. It's good to be reminded, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's good to be reminded. We're going to continue to worship in a, in a few moments. Let's time, use time to just receive from Jesus. For those of us who've been Christians for many years, I pray this morning that our faith would be inspired afresh. It's good to be reminded of things. Now sometimes we, you know, we, we come to church and we, the preacher stands up and, and he reads a verse and he's like, oh, I've heard that before. But isn't it good to be reminded? There is nowhere else to go. Pray that we might be inspired afresh, that we might be renewed and strengthened, encouraged as we seek to follow Jesus, the one we believe and know to be the Holy One of God. For those of us who are going through a tough time as we worship, whatever difficulty it is, whatever it is, just bring it to Him anew. Whatever you're struggling with, come to Him who adds the words of eternal life. And if you're sitting there and you've never made that step of faith to receive Jesus, I challenge you again, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? Do it today. I started with an invitation that I was never, I was never going to say no to that invitation to meet the Queen and the royal family. I pray that we never refuse the invitation to come to Jesus. Let's worship together as we come. Let's open our hearts to receive all that Jesus has for us. Let's, let's minister to one another in, in prayer, in encouragement. If we hear a word from God that we might just speak into each other's lives as we minister to one another, as we encourage one another, as we're reminded of the wonderful truth. You have the words of eternal life. Father God, we, we just thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful truth of all that he has done for us. We thank you that he is the one whom we have come to believe and to know, the Holy One of God, the one who has the words of eternal life. Speak those words into our hearts this morning, we pray, Lord. Remind us, encourage us, renew us, inspire us, refresh us, I pray. Minister to the deep places in our lives, I pray. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.